This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle, back once again with my co-host, Brian Solomon. How's it going? Very, very good, Al. Happy to be here with you once again. Absolutely. And uh, my favorite guests on the show are always when we're able to get legends from, you know, our, our own past uh, wrestling magazine legends. And we absolutely have one of those today joining us uh, with photographer and uh, National Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, inductee, George Zapolitano. How are you? Oh, very well. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yes, we've we had you on uh, once uh, years ago back on the show. Uh, so much fun talking mm-hmm. about your history with the magazines and we're going to do some of that, but also more talk about your presence uh, with the magazine. You were part of two major shows that went down since we last recorded here, uh, SummerSlam and uh, Ric Flair's last match. And we're going to chat about those uh, in just a moment. Um, but real quick, uh, let me tell you uh, about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated uh, magazine. Uh, I've got mine in the mail just a couple of days ago, and it is the 2022 PWI poll. This is kind of maybe one of like the, the lesser talked about annual features that we do. But like um, some of the other ones we do, it really does provide a snapshot um, of where the wrestling business is at any given time. Uh, and it's fun because it's 50 different questions. It's stuff that, you know, it goes beyond who's the best wrestler and, and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, last couple of years, because of the pandemic, a lot of the questions uh, were sort of pandemic related. We moved away from that a little bit this year and got to uh, have a little more fun. I mean, we talked about stuff like what are your pet peeves in wrestling uh, and all that. So uh, check it out. Actually, let me. Why don't we go through some of the questions while I'm here? This is always a fun thing to do on the uh, the podcast. And another fun thing is the last couple of years we've opened this up to uh, pretty much everybody. Uh, for for years, it was kind of limited to just sort of like wrestling insiders, and uh, we've opened it up to to readers. And so I think it's given like um, a different perspective. Uh, why don't I ask you guys some of these? Uh, it's kind of one of those uh, staples. Who is the best pro wrestling manager or valet in 2022? Brian, I guess there's not a whole lot to choose from, but but any thoughts on that one? Yeah, it's it's one of those things where that that uh, that the role of the manager and especially the valet has is not really what it used to be. But but I actually wrote something recently in right. the magazine about how in the past couple of years we've seen more managers starting to come back again. I mean, for years it was just Paul Heyman and only Paul Heyman. And now there's other people, you know, there, there's Stokely Hathaway and AEW and there, there's there's been uh, there's Mark Sterling and people like that. And although I, I did say in the piece, and I think it's true that it, it's a little bit more on the AEW side, WWE seems to still be a little bit hesitant with managers, but I'm hoping I mean, I think it's an important role. There's a lot of people that that's their calling. They can't really be be you know like i mentioned in the article i wrote somebody like a bobby heenan who yeah was so great in the ring he actually was great but he didn't look like anything special so he became a manager and thank god because he's kind of the greatest manager of all time and where you know would we be without opportunities for people like that so i kind of hope that it 
that it goes more in that direction. Yeah. Well, I mean, no spoilers here, but, but you, as you can imagine, Paul Heyman did really well uh, in this question. And uh, worth noting that another WWE manager is uh, made the cut MVP. Uh, William Regal also did relatively well. Um, so those are all uh, non-NXT uh, uh, guys. Um, here's one that I think is a, a new question uh, in the poll, which is a fun one. Uh, in your opinion, which stipulation, stipulation or match present, presentation is the most overused in 2022? Uh, George, you have any thoughts on that? Uh, overused really. match stipulations. Not really. I mean, uh, you have to think about that. I don't know. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Well, you know, uh, this is, again, something that's come up. I would have to say Hell in a Cell. I think yeah, it's, it, good it's something that it used to feel really special and something that was like the ultimate blow off, kind of like the way a, just a regular steel cage match used to be. But now it's like, well, we're just going to have this pay-per-view called Hell in a Cell and we're going to slot people into the matches, whether whether the feud deserves it or not. So, I mean, that that that's something I think I could see them maybe giving a little bit of a rest to. And honestly, after the last money in the bank, I'm kind of on the fence about that one, too. <laughs> I, that that was not a great showing and the whole theory thing and the way they handled the Liv Morgan thing. Maybe I'm in the minority. I, I didn't like it and i think maybe it's time to give that one a rest i i um agree with you more on, on the hell in the cell side because at at its best hell in the cell needs to come about organically right it's supposed to be the the pinnacle of the hottest feud uh of the year and whenever you get there you get there but the, since they created a a pay-per-view that's on the calendar it's just sort of whoever is feuding right now gets that match I think they've gotten a little bit better about it uh, over the last few years, at least when they've done Hell in a Cell, uh, maybe some foresight. It, it has felt like the feuds that have culminated there kind of warrant a Hell in a Cell, um, and they haven't done as many. I think maybe the last one, there was just the one, right? It was at the uh, Cody and um, Cody and Seth. And, and was, was that the only Hell in a Cell match on that card? I think it was. Yeah. Since you're talking about that, the, the one I really enjoy the most though is Money in the Bank. Yeah, I like Money in the Bank too. And I, and I think it's okay in the in the calendar. There seems to be a purpose for it. And um there's an end result. Some of these have no really end results. Yeah, it's sort of like the, the Royal Rumble that it's part of the calendar and, and it's and on one hand it doesn't feel organic, but that's not really that kind of match. It it it's sort of like the rumble in that you, you do it every year and and um almost like the g1 climax or something it's built in the calendar and it's got yeah, um, yeah. some stakes to it but but we talked about our issues with especially when a baby face wins um with that another front is kind of related um it's the next question on the poll uh definitely be interested in, in getting uh, both your takes on this which lesser used match stipulation or presentation would you like to see used more yeah right. me. yeah <laughs> Let, well, lesser used. Well, for that, it would have to be something maybe from the past that's not done as much anymore. I mean, I don't know. That's a really tough yeah. one. I think, you know what I think? This is one thought I have on that. So they do the last man standing matches now, and it's kind of cool. And it's sort of like the evolution of what they used to have, the Texas death match in a way, right? Where it's like you go until somebody can't continue. But the difference is that in a Texas death match, they would allow, usually allow falls. Like you could pin the guy 
and then the guy would that would like get a break. There would be like a ten count, and the match keeps going if if he gets up. And I think that's a way to kind of make it a little more interesting. Like this isn't to say that the Roman Reigns Brock Last Man Standing wasn't great. I thought it was, but a lot of times those kind of matches they just tend to go on forever. Yeah, and it's just the referee constantly trying to count to ten. And I think if you broke it up with pinfalls like that, it would actually maybe create more drama and and more kind of like spots that you could do. That's how TNA did it for for years. I think yeah. I, don't, I don't know if they if Impact had a, a last man standing match in the recent past, but that was their model, and I agree it it, it worked better because um, the reality is in, in these last man standing matches you have these lulls by necessity where they get all the way up to nine, and you know the match isn't over at this <laughs> point, but but everything stops so the ref can get to nine just so the guy could get back up and. Um, right. I think the, the impact version is, is close to what you're talking about, which is they would only start counting after a pinfall, uh, I, which I, I think like. that the last man standing match I just saw was was amazing. Never yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was. It was. George, any any kind of matches that um, uh, you miss seeing? You don't see uh, that much uh, these days. I'll, I'll tell you one that did well uh, in this poll is uh, two out of three falls. Uh, I was I was thinking right away, barbed wire match. You want more barbed wire matches <laughs> with a barbed wire bat, with bat. <laughs> and Mick Foley would carry around or yeah. with the bat. Haven't yeah. seen that too often. AEW's uh, done some stuff like that with Moxley uh, and stuff, mm-hmm. and and certainly like uh, GCW yeah, who loves their their barbed wire. Yeah, WWE's not going to do that because they don't do blood anymore. So it's like that kind of stuff is off the table. You can't really do a barbed wire match with no Without blood. blood. <laughs> you know, it's really. It's, it would be kind of ridiculous, but, you know. That's also one of the challenges of stuff like Hell in a Cell, right, is that it, it's right. sold on on the violence, and then you can't. I mean, to this day, I, I think the worst match, I think it might be the worst match I've ever seen um, was that Hell in a Cell match between The Fiend and Seth Rollins. Right. And that was part of it was that they were trying to convey, like, oh, my God, the level of violence. And uh, I remember the big spot at the end, wasn't it like a toolbox on his head, and then he hit yeah. He hit him with a toolbox with a hammer or something. He he hit him with like a monkey wrench. I don't enjoy those matches because as a photographer, they're hard to photograph. Everything is inside the ring, which is which is inside the the wire. That's a really good point. So, are you sticking your the 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 lens through the the hole? Well, we used to no more. We sit in the low. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Whatever, and you so you're shooting through the fence itself. You know, Georgia, you don't get that same feel. You know, as a photographer, I have a question about that, George, if I could ask you, because, you know, back in the day when when WW when the WWF switched over for a while, they were using that big blue cage with the bars. You know, Uh it looked to me like one of the reasons they did it was it would be a lot easier to shoot through those bars than 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 a regular cyclone kind of fence. I don't think they ever uh, worried about how they were going to shoot. They're going to have a guy inside the ring anyway. That's true about the outside people, but we used to look for an open spot or or a place where the hole was bigger. You would eye up the ring, and where they came together was always a hole, and you would go there. Or some of the uh, some of the holes on the fences were larger than others. You would always right. look first where you're going to shoot from, and then work accordingly. Would, would WWE, when they had um, their own magazine, get? Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're they're always got their their video guys, but would yeah. they have still photographers in the ring for cage matches on the side behind them? They would have many many times. 
you know, I've seen, I have actually seen Hell in the Cell where they will have a photographer inside the cell. They do their very best to keep him off of TV. Well, off the he's, TV he's camera. He's following the video yeah. guy right behind his shoulder. Right, uh-huh. right. Poor, poor John Giamundo, who they recently <laughs> just let go. I'm sure you must know him well, George. But he yes. was a he was a master of that of staying out of the, cause he would constantly have Kevin Dunn yelling in his ear of telling, telling him where to stand. So you almost never would see him, but he was always there. He was, he was really great. Yeah. But and, and, they had the luxury of having somebody tell them where to go, where to move. I never did. And any other ringside photographers, you're, you're just there on your own and you're going to make your own way. Yeah. Yeah. Now the cell, at least you have a little more space because um, it, it's pushed further back from the ring versus kind of the standard steel cage where it's yeah. pretty cramped in there. So I don't know how much space there is. That was just uh, my, my, that was just my feeling as a photographer shooting this. So I, I would not go to many cage match events. I went in like it. Cause I know yeah. the photos weren't going to be as good as they would be on a different kind of event. But, but back in the day um, again, when, when cage matches were a little bloodier, the magazines love those, right? I mean, you, you, you'd, you'd love putting uh, those but photos on the cover or something, something like that. You, you yeah. know you were going to get something, and there was never a problem with putting a bloody photo on the cover until uh, some some companies then cable distributions, I'm sorry, cable distributors, they didn't like having a bloody cover. And when then we were told yeah. to keep blood off the cover for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I know... Uh, Carlos Colon was just in the news recently in, in an event in Puerto Rico with Ric Flair. And mm-hmm. I think m- most American fans got to know Carlos Colon from those bloody magazine covers, right? He was the I, guy who, uh, who, who was I, always bleeding. I knew I was going to get a cover with, with Colon against Abdullah or Colon against right. Punk or Colon against whoever. It was always going to be a bloody shot going to be on the cover somewhere yeah. or inside. It was good for foldouts and pullouts and whatever. There's yeah. a few of those that are just iconic. I, I have some of them, even in the seventies, even some of the, some of the after magazines, like there were, you know, you'd have superstar Billy Graham. There's a couple of those, yeah. uh, Bobby Heenan, just the, the famous, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby, what the hell happened to your face cover? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's one of the great covers, you know, the, yeah, it, it's so funny. I mean, for, for, for all the different talents that, um, different legends in wrestling have whether you have somebody who was a great brawler or a great talker or a great flyer i, I mean that's what carlos clone was really really good at right <laughs> was bleeding he was just he was a world-class bleeder yeah but but remember now rick flair just ended his career yeah. bleeding he made sure he went out with blood on well him. we'll see if it was actually the end <laughs> we'll talk about well, that he, in, uh, in a moment he just said there was a quote yeah. where he said that i wish i never said that was going to be my last match so he's already got <laughs> oh, yeah. it in his head which somebody should talk him out of it please i hope if he's ever- <laughs> yeah yeah he was well, just like- in puerto rico with uh with carlos cologne right yeah yeah i i could i had a match the, though uh, but uh that's what that's where i think you're going to see him i don't think you'll see him in a match really yeah, yeah, this maybe is my opinion. Uh, I don't going through it. I don't know that he could last again. He made sure he lasted this time. Could he do it again? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, barely. Well, hold that thought. I want to talk about that uh, yeah. uh, more extensively in a second, but, but real quick, just to finish up 
the plug here, uh, 50 questions in the PWI poll, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, this question here about whether there's too much wrestling on TV each week about who's going to be a future uh, breakout star. What's the best uh, indie promotion? Um, uh, what are the most prestigious titles? Uh, what are you sick to death of witnessing in televised wrestling? So a lot of those kind of questions, um, a lot of fun. Go uh, pick up the issue, pwi-online.com. Uh, There's a lot more in here uh, in addition to uh, just the poll. We've got uh, my uh, hot seats, and maybe we could get the audio here in the next couple of weeks with uh, Eddie Kingston, a really fun interview uh, to put together. I knew it would be uh, such a, an interesting, insightful guy. Uh, features on Taya Valkyrie uh on uh impact uh wrestling uh and uh, killer kelly and uh, so much more uh, we've got coverage of uh, a lot of uh, major events that happened uh, including uh, from the independent scene uh go over to pwi-online.com pick up the one issue or subscribe if you subscribe you get half off uh, the cover price um also there's a uh, uh, i don't know if you've gotten a chance to play with it uh, brian the the new app um, for the mobile version, I just downloaded it finally yesterday, and it's great. I mean, uh, Kevin talked about it a little bit on the last episode. This isn't just a PDF of the magazine. It, it, it's customized for um, a digital device. The layout's completely different, um, very intuitive, looks great uh, on a phone, and um, you could get that too. So head over to pwi-online.com. I'm also told we just brought back the uh, PWI Weekly Newsletter, thanks to uh, Jason McVeigh. So, if I may um, you, yes. You you guys have a lot more to write about now. There's so many groups, sure. action, so many things going on. Yeah, yeah, for the first time in a long time, right? I mean, it really was, um, that was one of the things that was sort of revealed from the uh, putting the poll together too. Kristen and I helped put it together. And uh, is that, you know, for so long, it, it, it was kind of like this uh, monopoly. And in some ways, I guess it still is. WWE still by leaps and bounds is it bigger than anybody else, but there are so many options. There's uh, a lot more. I mean, there's probably more like important big stuff happening now than there's ever been since, you know, time. since yeah. the days of the territories, honestly, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of good stuff happening. Yeah. So let, let's uh, uh, talk uh, just about the last uh, few weeks. You know, we, we could start talking about SummerSlam, but I think kind of the bigger picture is WWE after Vince McMahon. And um, I think SummerSlam was the first real look at, at what that looks like in a, in a Triple H run WWE. And I think the reviews have been uh, largely uh, good. I mean, one of the, the clear um, changes have been a lot of the names that have been uh, brought back. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, Brian, we, we've talked about how much is Vince really uh, out of power? How much of it behind the scenes? Is he still kind of running things? The the fact that they're bringing back so many people that clearly Vince McMahon had no use for and just wasn't part of his vision tells me that this is kind of a new day. And, and um, you know, we saw Dakota Kai uh, at, at SummerSlam. And since then, um, Karrion Cross in a major, major uh, angle at um, SmackDown last week. It looks like they're putting him right into that universal title picture. Um, we saw Dexter Loomis uh, th this past week. Um, so what are your, uh, a lot there, but but both uh, uh, SummerSlam uh, as an event and everything we've seen since there, does it give you optimism about, um, you know, th this new chapter in WWE? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody watching can tell that there's been some changes happening. I mean, you know, if you were expecting to turn the TV on and find this like completely unrecognizable TV program, I think you're fooling yourself, but I mean, 
if you're really watching and you're paying attention, there's exciting stuff happening. Like you said, there's been a, a renewed emphasis on the women's division, which we all know Triple H was a big supporter of from the NXT days. I mean, he basically spawned it with everybody that he sent up to the main roster. And, you know, people, like you said, that he's been bringing back. There's a rumor that Bray Wyatt might be coming back now because I guess that may have been more of a Vince call to get rid of him than a Hunter call because he was another NXT project, you know? So I think the the fingerprints are all over. People are talking about the terms. They've been saying the word wrestler. Mm -hmm. Roman Reigns used the word hospital. I know this, it sounds ridiculous, but they would have all these dumb banned words, things you couldn't say on the air. And we've been seeing those things change. And so I do think it's a very positive thing. And I think the morale is up from what I understand of people backstage and the talent and everything kind of thinking that things, you know, that there could be new opportunities and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a very exciting time for the company. George, you were there at SummerSlam, and, and I don't know uh, how much, if at all, you got to spend time with um, some of the folks that work there in WWE, but did you sense any kind of change in the air uh, with, with McMahon no longer running things? No, not not really. It was just the first show, so it was hard to, hard to say there was things that would change. But since then, he's, uh, Triple H has gone on TV, and he's uh, he's brought in some new people, as you had mentioned. And that, that's the difference. I think SummerSlam was a continuation of what they already planned. Mm, right. I mean, they yeah. had to go through what, what was already there. But they did need new help. They needed new talent. They needed new ideas. And they needed new people. Yeah, it, it's an interesting point. I mean, how much of, of SummerSlam was sort of in the can already was Vince McMahon's vision that they executed? And, and do we really have to wait? Uh, until whether it's the next big pay per view or the one after that, to to really see, I think it'll take a, time. Yeah, to see what, what pans out and what what develops. They really had no opponent. Uh, Carrying Cross coming in was a really good move. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you think of uh, SummerSlam, uh, George? And I think it's it's so interesting. We talked a little bit about this the other day when when we were chatting by phone. Uh, mm -hmm. On on one hand, you're you're there. You're you're in the perfect. Uh, position to take in this huge event and, and on the other hand um you're watching it everything through through the little uh, eye it. hole in your camera right so that's uh, that's how i've watched everything my whole life and any other photographer you watching it through a little hole in the camera yeah you don't have the uh, opportunity to go back and rewind and stop and and criticize or could critique a move or see what's going on you're just following what's in front of you and trying to get it all in and uh, also, too, standing on a ladder. I mean, I'm, I'm for any big event, we're, we're behind the ringside, but you're behind the people who hold up signs. So you have to get taller than them. You have to stand on a ladder. Besides so where are you? Are, are you like on the hard camera side? Hard camera side on a platform that's very small. You're on mm -hmm. a small platform behind ringside, right below the hard camera. If it's an arena, you're sitting in the seats in the loge section for photographers, unless you're working for the WWE. Yeah. So can you, in, in that kind of position um, mm -hmm. and with, with that kind of focus, can you even distinguish from this was a good show versus a bad show um, or even a good match versus a bad match? Or is it something that you can only really put together later if you choose to go back and watch the show on it's, TV or it's something? It's all feel. I mean, it's how you feel as, as it's happening in front of you. 
I mean, to be honest, the the last match between Brock and Roman, I I really couldn't see it. I know I know we picked the ring up, but once he picked the ring up, everyone's standing up and they're down below on the floor. I can't see what's going on unless I look on the TV screen. Are, are you doing that? Uh, I, I mean, is, is there a fan part of you that, in addition to doing the work, also wants to see what's going on? You know, when, well, even if you can't you shoot to it? Look to, 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 to see where they're at and see what's going on. I right. Mean, last man standing is all over the building. Yeah, yeah. Brian, you, you enjoyed that match, too. I mean, there's not a whole lot of things that um, you could say I've never seen before, but but picking a ring up and tilting it over and having the guys ro- roll out, it it's it's gimmicky. It's sort of exactly the kind of thing that Vince McMahon um, would love. Uh, but also, you know, I watched it in Dave and Buster's in the uh, the Washington D.C. area because I was away for a few days. It popped me huge. It popped everybody who was watching huge. Uh, it, it's just one of those moments that I was seeing Roman ro- roll down the ring. Was yeah, 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 that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Never yeah, saw my, that. I mean, that's something I never saw before. And I was, my, uh, it was an amazing spot. My wife made me replay that spot because she was just like, <laughs> let me see that again of him tumbling out of the ring. Cause I didn't even notice that the first time I watched it. Cause all I'm doing is watching Brock on the, on the truck, lifting the ring. Uh-huh. And I didn't have my eye on Roman and the fact that he had himself positioned all the way up on top, up on top. Right. And he went all the way down. He, I mean, he rolled all the way down and then he's on the floor and now everybody stands up and that's the end of my pitches. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. It was a spectacle. But that's what though. happens. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot, it's a lot easier than it used to be when I was at ringside and you were worried about the cameraman and chairs and ladders and everything coming over your head we just right. stand them back and you shoot and take what you can get yeah that's, that's really what it is that that seemed to be the end of this program uh uh brian do you think it's the end of is it i, I imagine they could revisit it down the line but it does feel like you need to take well, a break from this now i mean they might revisit it but I, I don't think they have any plans to. And I think because if they did have plans to, they wouldn't have advertised it as the last match ever. I mean, calling it the last match ever doesn't mean it's actually going to be the last match ever. But but it does mean that they're not planning any other matches anytime soon. It's just not really on the agenda. And I think especially, look, if Triple H as head of creative really wants to send a message of doing new and different things, He's not going to go and revisit a match that they've done like seven, eight different times on pay-per-view alone. You know, he's going to want to try to do different things. But it was good because, look, Roman is at a place right now where he needs challengers and almost not to say it in a negative way, but he needs placeholders. You know, he has to get from month to month and have somebody to work with. There's no plans for him to lose the belt. I don't think anytime soon. So he needs people to work with, you know, yeah, that's, all it is. that's why you had to bring back some of these people. There was no more opponents, right? There were exactly. no more opponents. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? I, and, and I don't know exactly what the plan is, but I mean, clearly they were going with um, McIntyre and uh, Reigns at Clash of the Castle and uh, McIntyre kind of a new opponent for, for Reigns, but, but not a new face in that main event mix that, you know, he's he's been up there now for a few years. Cross really is, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because Cross you know, the, the jury's still out on him. Clearly, Triple H is high on him and, and was uh, in NXT. But I can't tell you a great carrying cross match I've ever seen. You know, I, I, I see the upside in him. Great looking guy. Looks much better with the hair, by the way. Um, 
And I think even even more interesting than the fact that he's back is that um, they did the NXT presentation of Cross on the main brand, which they never did before. And that was one of the big issues. And it's why Cross flopped, right? I mean, he had this huge production an NXT with the intro and a scarlet and the black and white and all that stuff. And then he came into raw wearing um, a gladiator skirt and it, it was just terrible right, right off the bat. So clearly part of this was triple H um, I think delivering the message that this act was ready for prime time. And, and my, my vision for this guy does work, but is he maybe overshooting in if the plan is um, for this guy to go right to the top? But it has you talking, and that's what that's what you need. Yeah, yeah and and this has to be. Look, I'm I'm all in favor of him doing things like this. It's not all going to work. I mean, and you could say that about anybody. Some people aren't going to get over the way he wants. Some people are. Some people are going to get over more than he would expect. But the but the idea here is you have to imagine with so many of these guys, whether it be Cross or or Champa or the or the women or anybody that have been called up to the roster and then kind of squandered and not really, you know, some did achieve potential. I mean, God, Roman Reigns was one of them. You know what I mean? But, but some of them just fell flat. You have to imagine that triple H had to be frustrated seeing that happen and thinking, well, if only I was in charge, I would have handled it differently. Cause otherwise, why would he have bothered putting all that effort into some of those talents only to have them kind of go nowhere. So you have to imagine right now he's thinking, I want another shot at some of these people that Vince didn't think were worthy. So see, we're gonna, I think we're Triple H was was running it as a uh, as its own territory. Yes, mm -hmm. he wasn't running it as a feeding ground for the WWE, which is which was a mixed bag. I mean, that yeah. I, I don't that didn't always work, right? Right, but but you needed to have to bring more people in, which they tried to, but whether they but they really didn't catch on. That was that was the next thing. Because yeah. they changed their character from what they were in NXT. Yeah, I, I think one neat kind of side effect uh, of all this, and and it's al almost like a blessing in disguise that all these people were were let go, is that you know whether AEW does it all the time. It was one of the things that made WCW so exciting during the Monday Night Wars. Were those new faces popping up every week, and not new faces, but returns of of faces from the past and WWE hasn't really been in the position to do that that much over the last several years, because when they would cast people off, it's because they didn't want them uh, anymore. And now um, they're getting in this mode of what you're seeing these new people show up and, and they're their own people. And the fact that they went away and came back makes them a bigger deal. Like Dexter Loomis was kind of like a mid card act um on on nxt and now he shows up in the crowd on raw and people are talking about it well, and the one that uh, they have that's the, great i think the real ace in the hole is going to be bray wyatt that's the one they're holding you know on. i've got mixed feelings about that one of, of all the names that that um we've mentioned here um I, I guess it depends what bray wyatt we get right i mean i i'll never argue that he's super creative and talented and uh all that <laughs> but i I do not want to see the return of the fiend, at least the way we had the fiend. I don't need um, red lights. Uh, I can't imagine you like that either, George, <laughs> shooting with a whole place. It looks like a dark room. Um, well, and, 
and um, the the supernatural stuff and um, people being set on fire in the middle of the ring and drowned in a swamp. Um, you know, if, if it if it's um, that said, I got tired of the old Bray Wyatt too. You know, carrying um, his his little torch and going on these long rambling uh, promos. So uh, I absolutely can believe that Wyndham Rotunda has something to offer, uh, but. It has to be reimagined, reimagined somewhat. But I think they need a character. They need a yeah. character with no Undertaker. Right. Yeah. Which, which is what the WWE was built on characters. Yeah. The, the other uh, big thing, Brian, that we saw right off the bat at, at uh, SummerSlam, Becky Lynch going back uh, babyface, apparently. Unfortunately, it coincided with her being injured and having to take some time off. That said, if she was ever going to take some time off, I think it. You're kind of in between big shows right now. It it maybe gives Bianca some breathing room to be the top act. So I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Uh, but clearly that that also looks like Triple H saying, Let, let's right a wrong here. Becky never should have been a heel. Yeah. And I think even judging by the promo she gave on Raw, which felt very natural, you can tell it wasn't as heavily scripted as usual, where it it was a sense of she never should have gone heel in the first place and and honestly we've seen in the past year how it's just felt like they were trying to force her heel when the crowd the fans loved her they still wanted to cheer for her i saw her at the bridgeport house show and the whole place was behind her and she was wrestling um i forget who it was it was becky becky and i think it i mean uh bianca belair and and there was this feeling that the whole crowd was turning against bianca because they loved becky lynch so much so it it, it you, you could tell they were trying to kind of like reset her and get her back to where she was, which, again, is another sign of change, because I think if it was still Vince, there's no way they would have done that. She would have still been on the heel trajectory with Becky. No question about it. Could I ask yeah. uh, what's your guys opinion on AEW? Uh, I, I think uh, uh, it's a great product. Uh, I think they. I don't know if we're going to call them growing pains. I, I think one of the the uh, byproducts of all this buzz that's been around WWE for the last uh, uh, several weeks with everything going on with Vince and the shakeup is that AEW has kind of become something of an afterthought, right? I mean, the, the buzz is clearly not there like it was for a long time. The ratings have showed that. I've, Rampage in particular has done some, some numbers that apparently have been abysmal. I mean, it's like NXT or less than NXT uh, level numbers. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think they've lost a lot of momentum. I think they were hurt by CM Punk winning the title and then breaking his foot or whatever it was, uh, two days later, and they come up with this convoluted interim, uh, world title situation. Uh, I, I don't know that the, the ring of honor stuff has worked as well as they had hoped. It, it also feels a little sort of muddy, yeah. you know, uh, that, that they're kind of half in half out with ring of honor. Uh, so yeah, I feel like I mean none of it is is um, all that serious, but I do think there needs to be a little bit of course correction there. And then, if I may ask again too, uh, with all the promotions out there, do you have any anything that that you really follow in and surprise about? Well, one thing that I I've been following, but I feel like they kind of lost their way and they really had something special was the new NWA. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan. I thought it was such a cool idea because at first I thought no one's ever really thought to do that kind of like a throwback wrestling company where 
you're trying to go for nostalgia. Don't let, don't let Billy Corgan hear you call it that. <laughs> uh, well, he's not here now, so I'll say it. But where you're you're marketing for nostalgia, you're trying to get maybe those lapsed fans, people that stopped watching, people that loved the wrestling that they watched when they were kids and all that. And they've really started going away from that. And I feel like if they're not doing that, that was the thing that made them special. Made them okay. You know, it made right, it made them different. And now they're just another indie that's streaming. And and I think, you know, but but I used to really follow them closely. In fact, when they first started NWA Power, when it was on YouTube, that was the most fun, in my opinion, wrestling show to watch for the first few months. Better I, than- uh, yeah, I agree 100%. We used to talk about it here on the podcast all the time. It was it was must-see uh, uh, viewing uh, every week, and i definitely gotten away from that. Some of it was... Um, some bad breaks, you know, they put the title on Cardona, which I think a lot of people thought was a, an okay idea. I think Cardona got hurt. They go back to Trevor, which Trevor didn't really set the world on fire as, um, as NWA champion. And I think, um, uh, there was a lot of eye rolling when it was announced that, that Trevor, the original dude were doing Trevor and uh, Nick Aldis at the next pay-per-view, the, the 74th anniversary, which I think a lot of people are excited about if, if maybe it was a way of getting that title back on Aldis. Uh, and then they changed it to uh, Tyrus. And um, ugh, I mean, the, the, all due respect, I mean, uh, uh, I, I don't know that, that anybody sees Tyrus as the future of NWA. I get he's on Fox News. He's got a little bit of, of fame. He's got a lot of exposure from that. He really yeah. does. It, it's it, it's you'd be surprised how much mainstream recognition he gets because, you know, Fox News is like one of the most watched mm-hmm. networks on television and he gets a lot of eyeballs on him. But I thought Nick Aldis was the perfect champion for them. Right. He really yeah. represented it so well, I think. But with with Trevor Murdoch, they were, I think, trying to go for like a Harley race type of Character. NWA yeah. champion. but. No offense to Trevor Murdoch. He is no Harley race. Uh, you know what I mean? If I can add, uh, my, my favorite that I watch these days is MLW. Mm, that's I another one. Yes. A, I think they have a complete show from uh, old time wrestling to uh, the, the new high flyers to really solid, solid stuff. I mean, I enjoy Jacob Fatu and Hammerstone. Hammerstone. George, you know, I, I um, and, and we write uh, about MLW a fair amount uh, in the magazines. And over the last couple of years, I think we recognize their title as, as a world title. Uh, I've never watched that closely, uh, to be honest. I mean, sort of in passing, uh, I'll, I'll keep track of them. What, if anything, makes MLW uh, unique, stand out from what else is out there? I just think that they uh, they incorporate every style available. I mean, they they have they have their hardcore hardcore matches. They have the AAA uh, lucha style, flying younger younger people, and they have uh, really solid matches, wrestling matches, with uh, with with Richards and a couple of the other guys. Yeah, I think the problem I've always had is is you know finding what what is that calling card for them, and I think Fat Two was was part of it because That's he true. was such a, a a talent and sort of un untapped yeah. and was different than other guys. Um, but and I know he's still in the mix. Uh, Hammerstone's uh, I guess the, the top guy now. But when I've checked it out, I don't know, uh, Brian. I mean, it's always had a little bit of like a a Wrestle Society X kind of vibe uh, to me. You know what I mean? I liked Wrestle Society X. <laughs> 
I like them. I had on my on my podcast, uh, I had David Marquez on, and he was one of the people behind that with MTV. But we used well, to he, watch he works with MLW. He does. He works with everybody. He's like yeah. everywhere. Al, I just have to step away for a brief moment. I'm sorry to disrupt things. My son is upstairs. I just want to make sure he's not getting into any trouble. I just I'll be right back in a it's minute. It's fine. Guys, <laughs> yeah. continue on. I you, promise you, you I'll you be right back. I'll be yeah. right back. All right. George, uh, uh, so one of the ideas uh, th- that I brought up, and maybe this is a good transition to the, the next topic, when we talk about the, the NWA, I've want, I mean, you want to talk about a publicity stunt, and, and, and maybe that's part of the reason that they're putting Tyrus in this position, because the attention he would get um, being a, a, a talking head on Fox News, you want the ultimate publicity stunt, I've said, put the world title on Ric Flair. You know, go go for that 17th world title. And when I first thought about that a, a year or more ago, it seemed uh, outlandish, maybe less outlandish. Now, um, we saw him back in the ring at 73 years old in what was supposed to be his last match. And uh, now it sounds like maybe not necessarily his last match. Um, so l- l- let me first ask you. Uh, you you were there. What was the vibe like uh, in in the building? I think one of the interesting stories coming out of that is how differently the people who were in the building kind of received the match versus the people who watched on TV. Okay, the the people in the building were into it right from the start. When Jeff Jarrett was announced, that was the lar- that was the loudest, largest boo he's had wow. in his career. Everyone was against him. Everyone. And I don't think Jeff has ever had that much heat generated in a match. They were they were there ready to cheer and to do whatever it was to make the match possible. I mean, it was, it was the introduction was great. And then Rick coming down, just you were there to see Rick Flair's match. Whether it's his last one, his next to last one, five more, who knows? But anyone there was there for that reason. They wanted to see Flair. And I don't think they cared that uh, that he he didn't do the drop or he didn't do this, he didn't do that. They were there just for the whole effect of being at a match with Ric Flair, probably being his last one. Uh, but but he didn't do much of anything, <laughs> is is the truth. And and I think that at least and and, and as you're pointing out, I think people who are in the building who maybe were more forgiving. But yeah. certainly people who watched on TV and saw some of those training videos where he was doing a lot, you know. And then um, come the match time, he re- he really didn't uh, do but do it, much at all. It's like it's like everything else. I mean, this is what you're planned. But then once it's once yeah. you're confronted with it, you just go back and just do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there are many other things he wanted to do, but then his body just <laughs> didn't work. Yeah. It just didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, overall, how did you think and, and taking all these things into consideration yeah. and the fact that he's 73 and there was talk that maybe he had some kind of foot injury, um, taking all that into consideration, how did you think he did? I just thought as the match progressed as a whole, as a whole, it was an exciting event. And the people who were there in the building got what they paid for. Yeah. People in the building. Yeah. If you went to if you if you went and bought it just to see Ric Flair do the figure four, do all these different crazy moves that he does, you you should know because you should have known better. You should know that it wasn't going to be like what you expected. But in the building, it had a, a vibe that that really 
and I haven't felt in a long time, really. Yeah. And then you had Undertaker sitting there and Cactus Jack and Bret Hart and uh, well, and a couple other people, Kid Rock. They were there to just to see the the totality of the event, not to see in any particular move or moves. I, I do think that was one thing that was um, really cool about it, which I think there were concerns about was, you know, you, you've got Ric Flair and Ric Flair, um, his, his supposed retirement match was on as big a stage as you could have WrestleMania in Orlando in front of whatever it was, 40, 50,000 fans. It felt like a big uh, deal. And now him coming back for, for this latest send off, was it going to feel like a big deal in front of, um, you know, a few thousand fans in, in Nashville? And I think what you're touching on, and, and it really helped that there were all those legends in the ring, was it did feel like a big deal. I mean, if you've got Undertaker and Bret Hart and Mick Foley uh, at, at ringside, that really communicates to you that, you know, the, the, the giants of this business see this as a big deal. So it's got to be a big deal. Yeah, well, it meant something to them to be there. I, I don't. I don't think that uh, that these guys were paid to sit there and to cheer Ring Flair on. I think they honestly were there because they wanted to be there. Yeah, yeah. It it's um, and and it's a good point that um, it it you have to have realistic expectations about what you were going to see, right? I mean, it, it reminds me uh, a few years ago I went to go see uh, Frankie Valli in in concert, and I think Frankie okay. Valli is is still touring, um, and. Uh, you know, was it the Frankie Valley from uh, of the the sixties or or the seventies? Uh, obviously not, right? I mean, like it it. Just it, saw it Frankie so, Valley. But I saw Frankie Valley. Right? I could say I did, right? And uh, he had someone else hitting the high notes for him. Sure, or or uh, or recording hitting the high notes for him. But that's you know, I, I, that that's. But the, it was the a Frankie case. Valley but, show, and you saw the four seasons. Yeah. For different seasons, but you saw four seasons. <laughs> yeah. So so what do you think? And, and we touched on now Ric Flair is hinting um around that maybe this wasn't the end. And there's talk of his uh son-in-law, uh, Conrad Thompson, who uh essentially put the show together, promoted it. And um, you know, the people on the show, including Jarrett, are all part of this kind of um uh empire that that Conrad's put together, this podcast uh, uh empire. And there's reports of uh, uh, maybe him um, starting to put together a wrestling promotion uh, and that Flair's return might be a part of that. Uh, So whatever this is, what do you think of the prospect of, um, you know, maybe another comeback uh, by by Ric Flair? And and did you see anything in that match that would suggest that that it's a good idea? No, I, I, I don't. Personally, don't feel that there will be another match, Ric Flair, whether he's in the ring like he did in Puerto Rico uh, as a, uh, just accompanying his son-in-law and being outside. I could see that because once it's in your blood, there's no getting away from it. Yeah. He's going to do something, but I don't think he's going to be wrestling per se. I think he's got the itch and, and I do think he's going to wrestle, you know, and, and, uh, and I think I talked with Brian about it some weeks ago. Uh, it, it speaks to one of my real pet peeves uh, in, in wrestling. And that is the retirement match. And I get it as a, a marketing ploy and um, you know, you sell more tickets with the promise of this might be, his last match ever, um, that kind of thing. But 
it always turns out to to not be the case. It reeks of dishonesty. Um, would they really have sold that fewer pay-per-views or tickets or anything else if they called it the return of Ric Flair instead of Ric Flair's uh, uh, last match? Um, you know, uh, I, I just, uh, and I think I mentioned it here before, a few weeks ago, I went to go see uh, a Motley Crue in concert. And uh, I guess it was about 10 years ago where they went through this whole uh, uh, they, scene of... Yeah, they signed a contract and had lawyers there saying that this is our last tour ever. And they all, you know, they, they, they made it legal and binding. And then some years later, they just ripped up the contract and says, ah, we're back, that kind of thing. And that's fine. I'm happy Motley Crue's back. I, I hope they do it as, as long as they can. And, and um, I've had kind of the same thought with, with Flair too. I'm okay with Ric Flair. I, I mean, if, if um, it's done as safely as possible and hopefully, under uh, uh, guidance of medical professionals who um, can tell them this is okay to do, this maybe isn't so okay to do. I'm not going to tell a guy not to do what he loves and make a whole lot of money uh, doing it. So I'm truly okay with it. I just wish um, they'd stop calling them last matches, you know, just just leave it alone. You know, I, I sort of like the way Steve Austin did it um 20 years ago at, at, at wrestlemania 19 he just wrestled and then it was his last match for 20 years um and then this year he decided to wrestle again and he really never went back on on anything he said because he never announced it as a last match he just stopped yeah. wrestling so uh are, are you bothered by by stuff like that no you know but going back to when rick had the uh, last match quote unquote from uh from uh, Shawn Michaels, it was advertised as his last match, but it really wasn't put over. This is his last match. I mean, I was there, but I didn't. I didn't feel like it was the last match. Well, I did. I, th- I thought they they made a whole big deal of it. Remember, they had his family at ringside, and there was tears, and there was the big uh, send off, and all that. Okay, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, early on. You watching it on screen and seeing this whole thing evolve, <laughs> I'm watching it through a little hole. <laughs> right. So I'm, uh, I didn't go back and, and watch it again to see the family at ringside, to see all the drama and whatever. I just, I just got it as another match. I mean, really, just thinking about it, that's how I took it. This I took as a really last match. I don't know. It was just the feeling in the building, maybe. Was just something there. Can can you remember the first time you photographed the Ric Flair match? Oh yeah, he, it was uh, Mid Atlantic Television. I want to say about nineteen seventy three four. Do you remember anything about him? That was he no. just another young wrestler on the card, or, yeah, or another young wrestler? And he he had he had some kind of appeal to him. He just looked good, and he seemed he seemed good. He looked great. Yeah. I, I, as far as uh, oh, this is going to be an all-time great. Didn't see it. I mean, it, that's hard to say. Yeah. What what, what if any uh, thing is uh, what if any uh, relationship have you had with Flair over the last whatever it's been forty plus well, years? Well, listen, Ric Flair told uh, Conrad that he wanted me at ringside to photograph his last match, and really, that's why I went. Yeah. I was invited by Ric Flair. 
and he did an interview and he said, I'm so happy that George Napolitano is going to be on my last match. And really, that's why I went. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a thing that Jeff Jarrett did um, a few days uh, after that at, at some kind of convention, which was the first he was talking about uh, that match. And he brought you up uh, again. I guess he was being interviewed with by Bill Apter and, and he, he jokingly, lovingly talked about uh, uh, Bill and you and and uh, I forget who the, the third person was, but being photographers who love to be in front of the camera, love, love <laughs> to be uh, uh, photographed as well. Yeah. Well, uh, again, I've known Jeff, and we I, I, there's a running joke between me and Jeff. Jeff's favorite wrestler was the Boogie Woogie Man. Yeah. And some Jimmy Valiant. He always talks about Another him. bleeder. And I, I call him the Boogie Woogie Man. And uh, it turns out that uh, Jimmy Valiant was actually my first story. First interview, first story I wrote was Jimmy Valiant. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jeff Jarrett's been been um, one of like uh, the, the cool stories of uh, the last year or so, too. And, I, you know, I, I've one of the questions and I'm not sure we have it in the poll this year, but one of uh, the questions we would have for for years is one of the staples of the PWI poll is who are the most um, influential people uh, in wrestling? I think it is in there. Um, and I, I thought for for years, somebody who I expected to be in that mix was Conrad Thompson because uh-huh. of how he has been able to um, resuscitate the careers of uh, a lot of these uh, uh, people who, who we thought were done with wrestling, whether it was uh, Tony Schiavone or... Um, so many others uh, have have come up, uh, and and he's helped put them in positions to become stars again. And I think that's absolutely the case with Jeff Jarrett, who he started a podcast with just over a year ago, and and I think it was the best of of the whole bunch of of podcasts he has, in part because Jeff is so open, yeah, um, and and such a good storyteller. But it it it's uh, you know SummerSlam weekend, he was a referee in, in a match on SummerSlam. He wrestled Ric Flair in, in his last match, and he looks fantastic. You look at you look at Jarrett, I don't remember his arms looking that big. Um, so I think it, it it's one of the, the, the real cool stories. Uh, Brian's back with us. Um, we're talking a little bit about Ric Flair's last match. Um, what did you think about putting aside how Ric Flair looked for a moment about how Jeff Jarrett looked? I thought it was, it wouldn't be too far to say that he was the most compelling that I've ever seen him. I'm not yeah. exaggerating as a heel and just he <laughs> carried the match and they needed somebody to obviously to help to carry that and make it compelling. He did an amazing job out there. I mean, it, it, and and he's he's no kid either. He's not, you know, I think he's in his mid 50s and and he looked phenomenal. You had to yeah. hear the response he got. Yeah. I look like people wanted to kill him. And that's they a good did. thing. I, and they did. And it, <laughs> And he he fed into it. He fed into it, and he played it, and that was one of the main parts of the match, too. Yeah, we we talked a little bit about it, Brian. What, what did you think uh, of the match? It sounds like, um, and and I heard Jared talk about this. How how wide ranging the opinions are, depending on whether you're watching on TV or you're there in the building. Person, yeah, right. The sense I got right, and I'm sure George probably had talked about it, but. The live crowd, there seemed to definitely be an energy there and people getting caught up in the moment. I was very nervous watching it. I, I really was because I was just worried about him as a human being. Because, you know, I also don't agree with there's a lot of people that wanted to make fun of it. 
or or make fun of him or laugh about him. And I don't think there's anything to laugh at. I honestly, I was just worried. I really was scared of of it be going a lot worse than it did. And I wonder if maybe they were overselling how prepared he was for that because he seemed to have a lot of trouble. I think when he took the suplex, especially from lethal, I think that was like a point of no return. I just think it really shook the hell out of him. And I think even he was surprised. And there were moments like he even said in the promo afterwards that he didn't remember a lot of what happened in there. There were definitely parts where you could tell he was, I don't think he was selling at points in there where he really was, out of it and i just you know it it was it was emotional it was moving to see people like undertaker and foley and bret hart in the first row i mean i said it on twitter that's when you know you are a big goddamn deal when you have the undertaker as a fan in the audience watching your last match you know but i think that should really be it i mean that that could have gone a lot lot worse than it did and it was helped along by especially Jarrett, but also Andrade and Lethal. But he was very limited, and I don't think – I don't know how we could have expected anything other than that. But yeah. I think that we were led to believe a little bit that maybe he was capable of a little bit more. I think you wanted to believe there will be more. You yeah, wanted to you're right, though, George. I think part of it was we all wanted there to be more, believe right? there was going to be more, and you're going to see the spot where he gets hit and falls down and, right. every, and every other every other flash spot. Right. Well, we, we but we saw it, right? I mean, and they put it out those those training videos with with Lethal where he was doing more. So, um, but it, I think that fans' expectations were up. It, it it to some degree, it's their own fault. Yeah, but, but I that's think under that, a controlled environment that wasn't right. with, that wasn't with seventy five. Right. How many takes were there before they when got he, the, the one when shot? He took yeah. that when he took that top rope bump with lethal in the training video i can probably guarantee you that that's probably just about all they did for the day do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, uh brian we were talking about it um both of you sound a lot more convinced than i am that that Rick's, that that's rick flair's uh last match i think he's got the bug now and um i think we're gonna see rick flair again i'm not convinced that it'll be his last i'm just very very hopeful that it will yeah. be and you have to imagine i mean he was in there he was in the ring and you could see on his face, it was like that holy crap moment of, can I really do this? What did I get myself into? I mean, it was clear. And I hope that he listens to that voice and yeah. says, I, I don't want to put point, myself was, through it. He was in the corner leaning over the ropes. Yes. And he looked like he was winded. He couldn't believe. And he was done. You could see it, right? And at the yes. exact moment you're talking about, you could see it in his eyes where he thought, Oh my God! I I don't know if I could actually do this. What what did I sign up for here? It really was that moment. Yeah, I, I could see him having um a complete opposite sort of take, and I'm thinking, um, I got that one out of the way. I I know what it's like now. The nerves are gone. I I know um where I have to adjust uh, my training, and my next time out there, um, I'll be a lot better. Meaning, there's going to be a next time. I I just don't see it. That's no, just and just from the whole build up and the way it was done, I really think it was it. But you will see him again, something doing something. But yeah, and I, and I think another sort of complicating factor in this is this um, kind of uh, empire that he's part of now with Conrad and uh, Jarrett 
and his son-in-law Andrade and uh he's sort of like surrounded by wrestling in his family as as much as um he, he ever has been and even more uh, so. w- w- we know conrad's an entrepreneur we we know he's got big plans i'm sure he wouldn't want to do anything um to to put his father-in-law uh in danger but I, uh, it, it, f- it feels like this is something bigger yeah i just if i could say one thing about that i think also and people i'm surprised people haven't talked enough about this I think a big reason that this happened or that this was even possible to happen was Ric Flair being kind of cut off from the WWE yeah, fold. This is a good point. And because we know that WWE wouldn't let him work in a WWE ring. We also know that they were paying him very well. They were supporting him in an emotional, psychological way. He had a lot of his friends there. It really made him feel good to be there. And I think not being involved with them led to this in a way, I think with the Triple H regime and Vince out and the heat kind of dying down from that dark side of the ring thing, which really killed him for a while. I think you're going to see Flair back in the WWE fold eventually, not obviously in a wrestling way, but I think he's going to be very happy again, very satisfied with his life again and career. And when that happens, I don't think he's going to even feel the slightest need to get back in the ring again. So that's a good point you make. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure they'd want Andrade back if they could. Uh, also, I, I, uh, another NXT product who had his best, um, best years, be, uh, best time of his career under Triple H's uh, uh, tutelage he's, in he's NXT married to one of the big stars. Right, right. So, and and uh, yeah, I could very much see Triple H wanting to to get them back uh, under the fold, uh, all of them, uh, if he could. Uh, uh, George, H, Triple yep. H for the longest was a a, a flare. Lover, right. I mean, he he followed him, and he and he knew of him, and yeah, and and Flair's actually a guy who I think benefits from the WWE presentation, right? I mean, not not that I would want him um, scripted, but I've got to say, one of the 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 cringiest parts of Flair's sort of comeback over the last a few months have been some of those promos where I feel like it's almost a parody of a Ric Flair promo just laced with vulgarity and, and, and it's not Ric Flair, you know, and um, uh, I, I, I'd like to see Ric Flair in a WWE ring uh, at WrestleMania um, in, in that kind of an environment, a major league environment. And, and I think, you know, Conrad and them, they, they did a very admirable job in the presentation of, of Flair's last match but um, it, it, I don't know that that's really a fitting send-off. And I do think WWE and a Triple H run WWE is especially equipped, you know, for the hundredth time to give Ric Flair the, the, the send-off that he... Hey, uh, anything's deserved. possible. Anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they need those legends like that, those goodwill ambassador legends, like the kind of role that San Martino was filling for them for a while. And in the old days, Blassie had that role of you know, that could be Flair's role. You know, he just has to have enough of an ego check to be able to say, this is my role now. I'm not the main event anymore. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And and um, it would, you know, and, and I don't know how possible this is, but um, Andrade managed by Ric Flair in WWE, Flair doing the talking for him, that's money. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's a package. That, that's, I think, what Tony Khan wanted to do before the, dark side thing kind of made flair untouchable for a little while i think that was the plan 
Yeah, yeah, and I and I like the chemistry between um, the two of them. I, I, I the whole father uh, son in law chemistry. I, yeah. I, I like it a lot, um, George. But before we wrap up here, we, we talked a little bit about Vince McMahon. I asked you just now what what your relationship with with Flair was over the years. What if anything has your relationship with Vince McMahon been um, over the years? And 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 what's your take on um, you know that that chapter of wrestling history coming to an end? Well, uh, Vince was always very very nice to me. I had I never had a problem with him. I used to be, uh, I was, I was the unofficial official photographer for many years. I used to do the programs from Madison Square Garden in the seventies. I was the editor and I would put it together. And then uh, I worked on a whole bunch of stuff with Vince McMahon before he went national. And then afterwards, we, we just drifted apart like everything else. But he, him and his family has always been very, very nice to me. When, when's the last time you remember seeing him? Oh, it's been several years. Yeah. He used yeah. to go to the matches. I never saw him. I would. <laughs> and that, 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 that's the case with most of the WWE guys. I'm, I'm there, but I'm not like I was there before at backstage and hobnobbing with everybody. I'm just in, in the arena as a photographer, like one of the others at the hard camera loge loge position so i really don't get to see anybody unless they happen to come by me or come with me yeah yeah are, are you still enjoying this all these years and what have you been at it now 50 years yeah it's 50 years a little more 50 plus yeah. but yeah but honestly i don't enjoy it as much as i did when i felt i was involved mm-hmm. at this point i don't feel like i'm truly involved like i was what do you mean and what I mean is I'll take pictures now for PWI and I've been doing that since uh, doing that for my competitors since at least 2008, seven, eight, nine. But when I used to go to a match, I used to know what I would do and I would put together in my head how many stories I would get out of a, of a particular show and how I was going to present it and what I was going to do for, for the future. Now I'm just a photographer taking pictures, sending them off to Kevin or whatever. And then these pictures are just used randomly, haphazardly in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. But not to the same extent that I would have done them if I was running a magazine on my own. You know, it, it, there's some parallels here with this conversation about, about Ric Flair um, and energy levels. Is it what's your energy level to to stand for whatever it is three and a half four hours at a summer slam and uh that intense focus of of looking through the um uh the the the, the viewfinder of of a camera for all that time and making sure the shots compose just right and all that um are are you tired no <laughs> never <laughs> yeah never. i could still do it and uh I, I still shoot ringside and I shoot ringside for uh for the for the flare match. I was at ringside. I'm at ringside for MLW and a couple other indie promotions. And I get more into it than if I'm sitting in the loge and where you can just take the picture and you can look around, you can drink, drink, drink a soda, eat popcorn, and continue to take pictures. At ringside, you got to be totally into it and know what's going on around you, behind you front of you back of you at every any moment you had to be out of the way it's uh it's not an easy task some people think it's easy but it's not an easy task to actually do it yeah Uh, how much if at all have 
um, the 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 rise of like cell phone cameras and the reality that everybody at ringside and really in the whole building has got a camera on them and um, can can get some decent shots. Uh, now, how has that affected your job? No, not not really. And the word you use is decent. Yeah. You can get decent photos with it, but uh, but you, but <laughs> they're still not as good as what you're going to get with the camera. I mean, I'm also a quote-unquote paparazzi, whereas I do a lot of uh, celebrity events, red carpet events, music concerts and shows. And uh, I see more people with cameras on that, and uh, they'll take a picture with their camera. And if it's if it's a, a posed photo, it looks pretty good. And then they have it published on People Magazine and other places because of the expediency, the quickness that you can send it out. Yeah. That, I find that it's harder than with the wrestling photos. I mean, do, do you feel that? Because um, it, it, it it's it's awesome to see uh, people like you and Bill Apter. Um, I, I think Stu Sachs needs to be in this conversation more than he is, but get um, in the conversations of Hall of Fame inductees and, and getting the honors um, that that they deserve. Uh, w- when you think about the history of wrestling magazines and and um, how much they contributed to the history of of pro wrestling, certainly over the last 40, 50 years, um, do, do you feel like you get the respect that, that you deserve? Yes, I do, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the the weekend in Nashville, there were a lot of people that wanted to have their picture taken with me. Mm-hmm. And they and they said uh because of your books and your magazines, I learned about wrestlers that I didn't really know existed outside of my territory. Growing up, uh, the only way you were able to, to to find out about other people was through the magazines. And the magazines made a lot of wrestlers. There was a wrestler that just stopped me named Tony Fork. He was a mid-card guy, a bottom guy. I, I don't remember, but he came and hugged me and said that I put him in the magazine and I made his career. I mean, I all I did was take his picture and I, I used it. But to him, it was a big deal that people then knew who he was and was able to move from territory to territory. And this ain't a guy who was ever ever a big name. He was yeah. in Southwest Championship Wrestling. He wrestled in Tennessee. He wrestled a couple places. I mean, I completely forgot until he reminded me. I mean, there were so many guys like that. I remember, you know, even as a I have to say, even as a kid, because you're talking about people discovering so much more about wrestling from your your work in magazines and books. I as a as a little kid, when really the only thing I watched on TV was the WWF and I I bought one of your books, one of your big those big hardcover photo books at the Staten Island Mall at the Walden Books. Okay, (laughs) and it and it blew my mind. I was 12 years old and I was seeing pictures from memphis and and nwa and seeing hulk hogan when he's when he still had the mushroom cloud on his chest and all these things (laughs) and it was life altering absolutely no question what you're saying is what a bunch of people told me at the convention of sorts call it a convention uh, this past weekend in nashville because you're going to have all these fans who really were into rick flair in the last match and and the old buildup, and and they they said it was a whole bunch of them said that it was the the books they said and the magazines that really made them know that there was more wrestling than what they're seeing. Now, yes. the the road warriors would always say that we helped make them. I mean, to me, the the last 
people that we really helped with the Dudleys because they came out of ECW and uh, you that's when cable TV was so so wasn't big but it was but Bubba felt that that pushed him national the exposure in the magazines was what really helped him and then get yeah. to the WWE yeah, you, you mentioned Tony Falk, who, who uh, kind of going full circle here, I believe, with Jeff Jarrett's first opponent in, in his very first match. And, it was, and Southwest, <laughs> Yeah, and, and Southwest Championship Wrestling, I believe, is what <laughs> Conrad just trademarked, right? So that there's some thought that that might, can, might come back. Um, and um, you just mentioned the Dudleys. That made me think of, of somebody in your line of work who, you know, very much is, I, I would put in that class of sort of the, the, the legends on, on the journalistic side of wrestling who we lost recently, Black Jack Brown. And I was going to bring him up right yeah. after I got back from Nashville. I was home a day and then I took the flight to Detroit for Black Jack service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a sad day. I, I got that call on the uh, Saturday morning of the Flair weekend. And yeah. So I had that on my head. I, I, I used to walk around with him everywhere. Drove him many, many, many places and walked with him. He couldn't walk good. <laughs> so I walked slow. I was with him a lot. Yeah, I think it's so interesting whether it, it, it's you or Blackjack um, or, or so many uh, who have all lived like these relatively um, uh, modest lives over the last 50 years, um, but really are giants in, in this building, in this business. And I think Thank about a, a story that that Bubba um gave not long ago i think it was a uh, on, on austin's yeah. uh, podcast that he he essentially credits black jack brown with getting this job in wwe i think he said he was the one who who got him on the phone with vince mcmahon okay, uh, literally i think it was like a three-way call yeah. and and and, and black jack facilitated it to, uh and to that if, if i may um i used to run the cauliflower alley club and i had a, a cauliflower alley club dinner in newark new jersey and I gave the Dudleys a plaque as wrestling uh, tag team of the year. And then Pat Patterson came up to me afterwards and says, who are these guys? <laughs> Let me see. Are they good? I said, they're really good. You, you should talk to them. Well, Blackjack took it a step further. He put them together on the phone. But that came off of that weekend where I gave him a plaque wrestler, uh, tag team wrestler of the year at the Cauliflower Alley. And at that dinner was Vince McMahon, Linda McMahon, Shane McMahon, Rocky Johnson, and The Rock, all at the dinner at the Newark Hilton, plus others, uh, Lou Dez and Red Bastine, and I can go on and on, of all the people that were there. That were, they were part of the Cauliflower Alley Club. And I remember the when they, they used to do the, the reunions over on this yeah. side of the country. Now they're strictly in Vegas. I did four. I did four when I was running the magazine. I would promote it and talk about it and I I ran it. I mean literally from selling the tickets, selling the tickets out to setting up the building. And that was yeah. the days when when Thez was the president, yeah. right? Back then at Thez that was time. the president, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's so interesting that you know when when um people look to who helped launch you know this legend's yeah. career, this legend's career, and they look to wrestling trainers and promoters and uh people like like you and and blackjack and and Stu and bill um you know don't come up enough in those conversations yeah. for for the roles that you played in in helping people that need to know, no. yeah the people that need to know no and it's uh, it, it is what it is and it's fine 
you know. Kind of going full circle here. Um, do you think Triple H has a, a, an appreciation for um, um, people like you in in, oh, yeah. in your role? And and does that maybe uh, change things going forward in WWE? Uh, it doesn't need to. Ch- I don't know what needs to be changed. I mean, I I get uh, press credentials. I don't have a problem going in their events, and it's it's not a not an issue with anything. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I'm thinking is, is the WWE Hall of Fame for what it's worth. And, and um, they, under Vince's watch, they, they've um, always sort of been reluctant to recognize um, some people in behind the scenes. And one, one little way, you know, Brian, you talk about some of the changes. One of these WWE Vince McMahon uh, official or unofficial guidelines was you don't name referees, right? I mean, they, they, they've just been right. nameless WWE well, officials. One thing I found when I worked there was there was a sense of um, everything, for better or worse, is a community effort within the company. So there was it was like a corporate belief that basically unless you were talent. Right. And I guess they don't consider referees talent. I do. But unless you were talent, they they preferred not to give your name or put you over like you notice even their TV shows don't have credits. Right which became the standard in the industry for wrestling TV. It really was not before that. You would always see credits on, on wrestling TV shows, but that extended, yeah, to referees and photographers that were not really going to name them or give them identities. And I would like to see that change. Yeah. Especially with something like the, the, you know, the, the, the warrior award, um, I think was really sort of like perverted into something that it was and and, and maybe this is the, the one contribution that the ultimate warrior could give, uh, in, in wrestling that, that would be, uh, respected. But when he first talked about that idea at his hall of fame induction, uh, whatever it was, uh, eight years ago, it, it really wasn't what it ended up becoming. It was just this, it, it was recognizing, Right. Some of, of, of the people in the industry who work behind the scenes in the shadows and maybe don't get all the uh, respect that they should. Yeah, I stood up and applauded when he said that at, at, <laughs> in my house, because it, I always used to say that when I worked there. And he was actually he mentioned someone in that speech that was directly the person that made him think of it, which was a guy named Jimmy Miranda, who used to run the merchandising. Yes. And he was George. Did you know him? Yes, I did. He was beloved. I mean, he was one of these guys yeah. that. He ran, ring, he ran the ring truck with the merchants yeah. from uh, right to arena and he he passed away right around about a year in, into my being there and it was a big deal but he's a classic example of someone everyone loved but fans don't really know who he is and he and he and they don't really get the recognition i thought the there were a couple of times they did that warrior award where i thought it was what it should have been when they gave it to um when they gave it to sue Aitchison. And when they gave it to Rich Herring, those are two people like within the WWE structure who are loved and have done great work and were so important to the company, but you don't really hear about. That's what that award should be for, you know? Yeah, I I wonder if it it does become more of that under um, Triple H and and Stephanie's uh, watch. I don't know. I mean, I... Maybe there's a middle ground because they they have also um, highlighted, I I thought last year um, with... um, I'm sorry. His name escapes me. The the, the guy from the crime time. Uh, oh, sh- sh- um, um, yeah. 
Shad Gaspard. Shad Gaspard. Yeah, I thought that was beautiful. Excellent. Right. Yes, I mean, like, uh, uh, so again, not not necessarily what the original vision was for that award, but but um, zero complaints uh, uh, there. I thought that was great. Well, maybe so, not. Maybe not Joan London. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Was, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. yeah. God bless her. Anyway, uh, uh, George, this has been a blast uh, uh, catching up here. Um, can you tell fans where, where they can, uh, reach you, follow your stuff? Uh, I, I think you're, you're somewhat active on social media, right? Uh, a little bit, not, not all that much. I'm on Twitter. I, I get my wrestling news through Twitter. Yeah. It seems that every five minutes is a new wrestling story on Twitter <laughs> and I follow it. Uh, Starshot nine. Right. Okay. And obviously you can uh, follow your incredible photos. Uh, in our magazine. Pro uh, Wrestling Illustrated. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, Brian, uh, anything you want to promote? Uh, how's the book doing? Book is doing well. I'm actually going to be doing um, a, a book signing. There's a, I don't know if we could mention this kind of stuff, but there's um, Wrestle Bash 22, which is a big autograph show and wrestling convention that's happening in New Jersey on the 20th. I'm going to be signing copies of the Sheik biography there. And I'm going to be at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame a weekend in Albany, August 26th, 27th, and 28th. And I'll be signing copies there. And I'll be at Cauliflower Alley Club reunion next month doing that too. So anybody that hears this, that that's going to those, I will be selling copies. Of course, the book is, once again, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. And I'm happy to, to talk to I've been getting a lot of great response from people still. So I'm just psyched to keep promoting this book. Absolutely. All right, guys. Thank you so much, as always, uh, for doing this. Uh, Fans, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon. Bye.